sermon series. Uh, I think we're up to week 13 now, possibly. Um, and we've been going through the Sermon on the Mount that uh, Jesus, um, I was about to say performed, if that's the right word. Um, one of the preachers he did over a long, long period of time. Um, and we're up to one that I've shied away with for a little while because uh, there's no escaping that all of us have fallen into the trap. And it's the, the do not judge. Um, so most of you, if you've been at church a while, might be familiar with this. I'm going to go through the chunk that I'm going to be talking about just so that we're all on the same page. Um, but for those of you that have Bibles or bring Bibles with you or want to take notes, it's Matthew 7, uh, 1 to 6. So we'll go through that. Um, do not judge or you too will be judged. For in the same way as you judge others, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own eye? How can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye, when all the time there is a plank in your own eye? You hypocrite. First take the plank out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. Do not give dogs what is sacred, and do not throw your pearls to pigs. If you do, they may trample them under feet and turn and tear you to pieces. Now, the uh, enjoyable thing about getting to preach on this is that sometimes when you get a subject as a preacher, you're worried about how applicable it is. You're worried about, you know, are people going to have understood this? Are people going to experience this? Is this something people are dealing with in their lives? But when it's something like judging or being judged, it's something that is universal. We all get it. We all have done it. We all have been subject to it. And it reminded me uh, of a time when I was about eight years old. So my mum um, has worked in Tesco for about 20 years. And um, there was a time when mum and dad would be working at the same time. So I would go along with my mum to Tesco and hang out there for a few hours. Riveting childhood for me at the age of eight years old. And uh, my mum worked in the freezer aisle. Um, all of this will become relevant. Um, and what would happen quite often is I would literally walk around and do laps of the freezer aisle until one day, I'm generally quite a curious person. I like knowing what happens when you do certain things. And for some reason, in the mind of eight-year-old Lewis, I wondered what would happen if I licked the freezer. And so... Uh, for those, uh, it's the Tesco that's in town, so for those of you that are familiar with it, I'm not talking about the, um, uh, the kind of cabinet freezers that you open up, grab your ice cream from, whatever. I'm talking about the kind of chest freezers that just lean away. Now, I'm a bit vertically challenged, I'm not the tallest bloke in the world, and at eight, I was very, very small, and so I remember, uh, for some reason, I don't know why I thought this was a good idea, I went up on my tiptoes, just managed to get my chin over the edge, and then with... Amazing dexterity, really, just trying to lull my tongue, just to see. I, I still, to this day, don't know why I did that. But nevertheless, I did it, and I finally managed to touch the side of the freezer, and no prizes for guessing, it got stuck. And so I'm deciding not to panic at this point, but effectively almost suffocating myself as the edge of my throat is on the edge of the chest freezer, as my tongue goes, can my mum is nowhere in sight. I reckon she saw me about to do this and thought, I ain't dealing with that, and decided to walk out the back or something. And so it was, I don't know, eight o'clock in the evening, and I've got people walking past being like, you can, I can just hear their feet as they're walking. Slow down to take a look at this weird kid who seems to have just shoved his face inside of a freezer, judged him to be an idiot, and then carried on moving. Just as a, as a, like, a plea, having been in that position, if you see somebody who stuck themselves to a freezer, try and stop and help them. Because I was there for what seemed like five or ten minutes. I'm sure it was probably only about 30 seconds, but trust me, time seems to slow down and turn to syrup when you've got your tongue stuck to the inside of a freezer. Um, what happened next, I definitely wasn't prepared for as well. Um, so eventually, uh, I don't think it was my mum, one of her colleagues was like, you are right there? Realised what had happened, went and got my mum, and despite dying of absolute embarrassment, my mum's like, don't worry, I've got it. Disappears like that, comes back with this blue spray. 
Now, I still to this day, and I've never asked what this blue spray was. I'm inclined to think it was probably just antifreeze. And nevertheless, my mum has just proceeded to through my mouth into my tongue. I don't know if it was poisonous. My mum was probably hoping it was. Might give me a few more brain cells. And she just sprayed it, and eventually my tongue, and that relief of finally becoming unstuck from a freezer uh, in Tesco's, as you've had every one of the adults walk past, just tut and move on, these heartless, heartless people. But that feeling of being judged, that feeling of, I know what you're thinking. You've looked at me, you've made a judgment, and in that instance, they were correct. They thought I was an idiot, I was in fact an idiot, and my actions confirmed that I was an idiot. Um, I would like to say that I've learned from this, um, but it has happened to me when I was 15 as well, but I won't go on to that. It wasn't, it wasn't into a freezer, I didn't decide to replicate that, um, but nevertheless, you'd think I would have learned. The nature of judging is about putting yourself above someone else. It's that nature of using your moral compass, your um, ethical standard to look at someone else and go, you're not living up to what I deem is the right way to live. You're not being the person that I think you should be. You're not acting in the way that I believe you should be acting. And there's a huge, huge problem with that. And it's, it's down to the fact that we put ourselves above other people. We don't want to admit that. We're all lovely Christian people and we meet up here every week and we talk to each other about our our lives and how fine we're doing, but nobody wants to stand here or sit there and say, yeah, you know what, that's me. Pretty much every day I'm judging somebody. And for a lot of us, we kind of want to disclaim it and we kind of look at others and go, yeah, I'm not as bad as that person. You're judging. If you're sat here going, yeah, I I could be a bit better, but (laughs) at least I'm not like that person. You are falling into the trap. It is inescapable. We are all judging one another every single day. There's no getting away from that. And what I like is the fact that Jesus doesn't ignore that. Jesus doesn't go, well, that seems like a bit of a meaty one. That seems a bit heavy. I don't really know how we can stop that. I'll, just, I'll ignore that and we'll just carry on talking about something else. Jesus sees the, the issue of judgment and he decides to face it head on. And what I find is an interesting side note, um, just for those that enjoy this kind of thing. With the Bible, it's always worth about asking why Jesus is talking about a certain thing. So we look in the context and beforehand, uh, I think it was what Adam spoke about last, was uh, do not worry. That is the subject that Jesus is talking about directly before he comes on to do not judge. And for me, that isn't a, co- uh, isn't a coincidence. That isn't an accident. Jesus realizes that when we worry, when we become controlling, when we are scared and insecure about what we have, making sure we have enough of it, Our human reaction so often is to turn and point a finger at others. When we feel scared or insecure or um, unsettled, so often we turn the spotlight and go, yeah, okay, I might not have this together and I might be worrying about this, but but look at that person, look at what they're doing. And we don't want to say that we do this, and many of us will be clever about it, we won't want to admit it, but it is what humans do as a rule. We point the finger at others to take that spotlight away from ourselves, and I don't think Jesus does this as a coincidence. I don't think he goes, oh, we'll go from do not worry, ah, what's the next on my list? This is intentional. Jesus is a master teacher. He disrupts us and he makes us ask our own questions. I think sometimes when it comes to judging, we all like to think we're a bit more impartial than we are. There are universal rules of right and wrong. We all know that robbing an old person is wrong. All of us use that kind of judgment to say that is a universal wrong. There is no culture in the world that considers that an integral and honest thing to do. Everyone has decided that that is a universal truth, that that is just wrong and unfair to do. And all of us can agree with that. But the problem is we apply that logic to everything. And all of a sudden, these judgments, which are, are far more personal than we would ever care to admit, And we put our judgments on other people. And it got me thinking about, it's a terrible, cliched example, but the whole, if you judge a fish by its ability to climb a tree. 
um, if you judge an elephant by its whatever. But that whole thing of um, judging people based on a standard or a rule that they're not even aware they're playing to. It's like criticizing a rugby player for kicking the ball over the post instead of below it. People are, uh, we often judge them when we criticize them based on stuff that they don't even know they're a part of. And it's a, it's a huge problem for us. It made me think about uh, the fact that sometimes I still get into a very old school mindset and I judge people according to their attendance at church. Um, for some reason, it was drilled into me or I picked up somewhere along the way that if you're a good Christian, you love Jesus, you'll be at church every single week. Now, that's outdated. It's quite frankly, it's, it's wrong that I'm judging someone's relationship on God with their attendance at church. But that is something that as much as I would like to pretend like that is a universal truth, like if you love Jesus, you will be at church. It's just false. But I lay this judgment on other people because I'm like, well, that's important to me and you're not living up to the standard that I think. Some of us in here will judge others for wearing certain types of clothes. We'll judge each other for watching certain TV shows, Love Island, for instance, which, you know, I'm just throwing it out there. Um, but we do, we, we judge people on, well, that's not very edifying. We shouldn't be watching that. Um, I got hooked in the other day watching it with Gregory, but that's besides the point. Um, we can judge people on what they decide to eat, whether they recycle or not, whether they use certain words and whether they don't. We have these um, personal judgments that we don't want to admit to, but we say, actually, these are my standards and you're not meeting them. I know that you think you're doing all right, but actually you haven't met the criteria that I just decided is the way that everyone should be living their lives. The list goes on, but my point is that your choice of TV show or your choice of whether you attend church or not is not a sin issue, but judging makes it so. So often we will take a look at someone and say, oh, they've, they've not been to church for a little while. Do you, th do you think they're okay? And the chances are that actually most people are investing their time in friends, in family, in other things that bring themselves life, in being Jesus to other people that wouldn't find themselves in church, as an example. I, um, in leading up to this, I read three different studies about um, kind of the general public view on church, on Christians, um, and what people stand for. I think Adam's mentioned this in the past as well, but um, in the three studies that I read, being judged is the number one reason that people do not want to come to church. In all three studies, the one universal truth above everything else was, I don't want to go to church because I'll be judged. I don't want to go to church because they might think this about me. I don't want to go to church because they might say this about me. Judgment is the thing that the church is known for. And we won't like this, but people in church are judgmental. That is the message that we're trying to fight against for whether you would consider yourself having an issue with the way that you judge others or whether you think, actually, it's not on my top 10 list of things I need to fix. Regardless of that, the message that we are trying to fight against as a church, as a group of believers, as a family, whatever you want to call yourselves, is that the people out there, for want of a much better phrase, look at us and say, I'm not good enough, I'll be judged, they will say this about me, they will think this about me. And we have to fight against that. The Greek uh, words, because I love getting into the language of it, is, uh, so for hypocrite, the Greek word is uh, hypocriti. So um, what that means in the Greek language is stage actors. This is their, their word for actors. And I love this because it's a bit more in depth. When we think of hypocrite in the English language, we think of someone that preaches one thing and does the other, or says one thing and does the opposite. And that's true and that's correct, but it isn't the whole picture. The hypocrite, the, the, the original word, it has far, far more depth and nuance to it. It's this idea that actually we're pretending, we're playing a role, and all of us will know this. I've been in church uh, since I was 10. 
And I know that's not as long as some of you in here. I know it's longer than some of you in here. But all of us, unfortunately, even in this church where we would like to think we're as loving as possible, we will have played a role. We will have turned up to church in the midst of heartache, in the midst of trouble, um, and done the whole... Yeah, I'm fine. Yeah, yeah, no, I'm good. How are you? Oh, yeah, yeah. It's been... Oh, isn't the weather great? What a blessing. We play the spiritual Christian games. We play a role. We turn up and we act our way through life. We act our way through friendship sometimes. And some of us are better than others. Some of us do it more than others. But all of us will have been actors at some point in our lives. Hippocrati, we would have been these people that pretend and play a role for so long that sometimes we forget that the actual real version of us isn't like that at all. I read a really good sentence uh, to do with this, and um, I couldn't think of a better way to word it, so I'm just going to quote it. Um, Many people live their life in a desperate search for human approval and applause. They discern their dignity and worth, not from God, but from what other people think of them. In effect, Jesus describes hypocrisy as the sad state of a person who reduces himself to being an actor on stage because he does not know God. In effect, Jesus describes hypocrisy as a sad state of a person who reduces himself to being an actor on stage because he does not know God. That hits me like a ton of bricks. I think of how many times I turn up to church, uh, not even church, how many times I've been in friendship and I've pretended to be something else. I've pretended to be somewhere else. I've pretended to be someone else. Well, I haven't had the bravery because it's not just the people outside of church that are worried about this. It's us, if we're honest. We care what each other thinks about each other. And that's not a bad thing. We want to value each other's opinions. But speaking personally, I have been an actor for large periods of my life, and it sucks. It's painful. It's um, destructive. And ultimately, it, it kills you. There is no life to be found in pretending to be someone else, pretending to be somewhere else. And what Jesus is talking about in the, the geniusness of what he is talking about here is that he isn't just saying, do not judge, and then he moves on. That would be too simple, that would be too glib, it wouldn't actually affect anything. It's the same as somebody going, oh, you're, yeah, you're really anxious, yeah, don't worry. Like, no one has ever been cured of their anxiety by somebody saying, don't worry. It's the same way in, uh, whenever you're agitating, someone's like, oh, don't worry, calm down. I hadn't thought about that. You are, oh, you legends. You should do like self, self-help motivational talks because you've got it. It doesn't work. Being told not to do something is not good enough. But Jesus goes so much further in this. He says, you hypocrites, drop the act. You don't need to be that person anymore. So often, um, as well, people like hearing this message because it's a defense mechanism. When we hear, do not judge lest you be judged, or uh, remove the plank out of your own eye before you inspect someone else's eye, some of us in this room, again, we won't like to admit it, but some of us will use that as a defense because when somebody tries to get close, when somebody tries to challenge, when somebody wants to get closer than perhaps we're comfortable with, than our acting role allows us to be intimate with, we can go, sorry, who, who are you to call me on this? Like, you know that you've got this thing in your life, right? We use it as a way, a stick to beat other people with. We take the plank out of their eye and hit people to death with it because we say, who are you to, to challenge me? Like, you know you've got that issue, right? Or you can't talk to me about that because you're just as bad as I am. We use it as a way to create distance, to stop um, intimacy, to stop community, to stop genuine friendship where we can challenge and encourage and love one another. In verse 5, it says, You hypocrite, 
First take the plank out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. Verse 5 is written on the understanding that people will be in community. Some of us might not like that. Some of us might not know what genuine community is. But verse 5, when Jesus is talking, implies that we are living life with one another. And then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. It is not a, do not judge, let's move on. It's Jesus saying, no, 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 no. You need to deal with your stuff, of course, but we're not waiting for perfection here. We're waiting for realness. When, um, when I was growing up in this church, uh, I was probably about 13, 14. I'm really glad Rochi's here, actually, because this story involves you, and it's so much better when you're in the room. Um, you come out of this really well, mate, so don't worry. I'm not embarrassing you for a change. Um, so uh, for those that have been around the church for a while, uh, the cafe that we now have uh, didn't used to be that way. It was a small corridor with toilets on one side and a kind of church office on the other. And uh, I was Rochi's youth, because he's much older than I am. And... Um, we were called Rochi's Biker Mice from Mars. There's no reason to tell you that other than it's a ridiculous and brilliant name. Um, but Rochi's Super Biker Mice from Mars used to meet every week, um, and Rochi would be my youth leader, um, and oh, Sam's not in the room either. But Sam Knight, um, as well, was in this um, session with us, and it was about pride. Now, you would think, like, I like to think I'm quite intelligent, but clearly not, because I stick my tongue to freezers. And also, the subject that we were being taught on in this particular week was pride. And uh, I remember being handed a questionnaire by Rochi, and on it was a series of questions. Uh, mark yourself out of five on your Bible knowledge, on your prayer life, on your quiet times, on worship. And you had to kind of say, yeah, I don't know what I'm doing, up to, yeah, I think I've got that uh, a pretty good handle on this. Those that know me will not be surprised to hear that I pretty much score myself fives and fours on every single aspect of my Christian life. I had it pretty nailed at the age of 14, and it was important to me that everyone knew that I had it um, nailed. And so we've gone around for about 15 minutes, we've gone through these questionnaires, I'm fours, I'm fives on pretty much everything, um, and I'm just sat there kind of finishing my questionnaire early, like, <laughs> come on guys, when you're ready, just thinking that I've got it all sorted. Um, and what I didn't realise, despite the fact that it was about pride the whole session, is it wasn't the answers themselves that was important. It, nobody cared what anyone put down. If, for some reason, my spiritual life had been a four out of five or five out of five, it's besides the point. What it was is our reaction to being challenged on this. And so there were people in the room that were like, oh, you know, I've got a two on this, or I could be better on that. And Rochi's gone, yeah, okay, well, we'll pray for that. We'll support you in that. And then it comes to me, and I'm like, oh, yeah, so I've got a four on here, and those three are fives. And I've gone through, and Rochi's like, do you not think that's a bit proud? Red flag to a bull. I'm like... What? You've asked us to answer these honestly, Roach. And as you know, humility is the uh, correct estimation of oneself, not thinking less of yourself. Throwing all this stuff at Roach as if I had everything on lockdown. He's like, no, but that's quite proud and arrogant of you to say. I'm like, <laughs> Roachy, no, no, I think you're mistaken. Do you want me to lead the group? Roachy, for the next 25 minutes, is going, yeah, that's quite proud. And I am just butting against him, going, no, you're wrong. You've read it wrong. You asked me to answer these honestly. I've answered them honestly, just because I've got better scores than you. Doesn't... And 14-year-old Lewis is getting absolutely leery as Roach just sits there going, sounds quite proud, sounds quite proud. Yeah, that's quite arrogant. For the whole time, until eventually I'm so worked up, I literally just went, ah! in the middle of a small group, and was like, why are you doing this to me? Rochi just sat there, patted me on the shoulder, and I proceeded to cry, so it was fine. It all ended up okay. The reason I tell you this story is because Jesus, like I said before, is not wanting us to be perfect. He's wanting us to be in community. He's wanting us to be honest and to be real. And sometimes that will be throwing your hand up and going, you know what, I've, I've got a gift in that area. I think I can help with that. 
That's absolutely fine, but sometimes, and a lot of the time in community, it's going, you know what, I, I need help. Right? I need someone to get alongside me. I need somebody to dig through the um, pretense and uh, fakeness of my stage actor persona. I need you guys to get close. The whole linchpin of this preach, the whole linchpin of judgment, is that judgment comes from a place of pride but not in the way that you would expect. It's not necessarily that you think you're better than other people. That might be a part of it. That might be the easiest symptom to pick out, but that isn't what judgment is. If you are judging others, if you are putting your opinion of how someone else should be acting um, and laying that on someone as a burden for them to bear, that isn't the issue. The issue is that you are holding your opinion above God's opinion. Judgment comes from a place of pride. Not in believing that we are better than others, but in believing that our opinion is better than God's. That's the crux of it. Because what we do when we judge, what we do when we put our expectations on other people is say, oh, I don't really care what you've said about this person, God. I don't really care what you call them. I don't really care what labels you give them. I don't really care what you think about them. I have judged them to be lacking. I have judged them to be this, that, and the other. Our problem is not that we judge others. Our problem is that we have the arrogance to believe that our opinion is better than God's. And I felt, uh, I added this last minute during worship, I feel it's really important to say that just because your judgment is right doesn't make it any more helpful. It doesn't give you license to therefore go and tell someone and say, you know what, I've actually, I've got proof and I can back it up with these three scriptures that um, you are, you're living life terribly and actually you need to change that I'm not talking about challenge within loving community that we're talking about here I'm talking about deciding without relationship that you need to go and correct someone else's life that you need to go over there and go actually I've got proof so I know I'm right being right is not all it's cracked up to be caring more about principles than people is a waste of energy and it's a waste of time and it's a waste of the mission statement that God has given us to love one another Whatever our opinion is, and this even goes to when we put people above ourselves, people that we hold in high esteem, whether they're people we know, whether they're celebrities, whether it's just people that we know by reputation, even when we put them above ourselves as well as below, it has to come secondary to God's opinion of people. God's opinion that we are all made equal. God's opinion that we are made clean and forgiven, that we're adopted into his family that we're friends of God, that we're loved eternally. If you are wondering what God's opinion is of you and what God's opinion is of them, it's exactly the same. It goes to each and every single one of us. Everybody is made equal. Everybody is clean and forgiven. Everybody has been called a son and a daughter of God. So when your opinion supersedes that and you think, actually, they're a bit of a state right now, what you're saying is, sorry, God, I know that you believe in them. I know that you want the best for them. I know that you believe there's hope, but I'm writing them off. Uh, Jordan, I don't know if you want to make your way up. Um, there's an incredible woman called Anne Lamott. She's an activist and an author, um, and she's just amazing. Uh, but one of the things that I love that she said uh, is that the most powerful sermon in the world is only two words. Me too. I love that. I find that so um, life-giving. That the most powerful sermon in the world is two words long, and that is me too. 
As humans, and this is for all learned behaviours, any of you that ever had an addiction from coffee to anything stronger will know that this is true. Being told not to do something is very rarely enough. Going cold turkey is very rarely enough. What we in fact need is a replacement. You think about uh, the vaping industry, how that's come to be so, so um, big nowadays. It became as a result of people wanting to cut down on smoking. We need replacements. We need things to step in and fill the gap. Me Too replaces judgment. Me Too comes with compassion, it comes with empathy. And we start to see people as people instead of a collection of faults of, you could do better. This is going to make me cringe so much and I hate to pull out one of these Instagram quotes that you see. I normally hate them, but this was too good to not use. But um, I saw a quote on Instagram that said, uh, don't judge others because everyone is fighting a battle that you know nothing about. And I thought, as much as I don't want to admit that, that's pretty true. And it's our job as a church, as a family, as friends, to get beneath the stage actor roles, the hypocrisy, and to say, you know what, what are you fighting? Let me in. I want to help you. To regain a bit of credibility, C.S. Lewis put it this way, don't judge a person by where they are because you don't know how far they've come. I think it's a church that wants to be as open to unchurched, for want of a better phrase, people as possible, it would too well for us to remember that we don't know where people have come from. And what we see is just a stop in the journey of where they're already going through. When you're struggling, when you're hurting, when you're wounded, limping, doubting, questioning, barely hanging on, moments away from another relapse, somebody can identify with you somebody who can come up to you and knows the temptations that are at your door, someone that has felt the pain that you have felt, and they can actually mean it when they say, me too, can save you. When you aren't judged or lectured or looked down upon, but somebody demonstrates that they get it, that they know what it's like, that you aren't alone, that's what me too is. That's why it's the most powerful sermon you can do. I'm going to finish now, but I felt the urge to appeal to you, not as me, but as God, that we need to be a people that will throw an arm around someone else and go, I don't know exactly what you're going through. I haven't struggled with that. But instead of standing up here saying they need to get that sorted in their life, they need to look long and hard at that, we actually need to stand by someone and go, me too. I don't know that specific thing, but I know what it's like to struggle. I know what it's like to try and hope when hope seems lost. I know what it's like to try and forgive when the very name of that person sets your teeth on edge. Me too is the answer. It's a replacement to do not judge. It's a stepping aside from our stage actor personas and saying, I'm going to get my fingernails dirty and get down in the mud with you and we'll get through it together. Um, So this morning as a prayer team, we really felt like God wanted us to respond to that idea of um, holding people to our own standards and our judgments, um, and specifically...